Hi, I'm Jez and I'm a communication coach and I thought it would be a really cool idea for the first time ever with my business, even though I've known how to do this stuff for quite a long time, to introduce you to a few people with true talent, people who've got something interesting and good to say about what they do in business. I thought it'd be great for you to hear all about them and where they're at. So this is the My True Talent podcast. You're most welcome and enjoy the show. I thought I'd kick us off with uh, someone who isn't that far removed from what I do. She's a global communication specialist with more than 15 years of experience. She's worked in the public relations industry now for 15 years. Global organizations who require people like her to help them put their message across to wide international audiences. Pamela talks about her love of PR, the most surprising job she's ever done, and why you need a fair splash of integrity to put your message across and get the job done. What she has to say about the way you communicate as a large organisation is gold dust. And I'm delighted to welcome her to the My True Talent podcast. I began by asking Pamela what was the thing that got her up in the morning? What made her love her job so much? I love what I do. I get up every day and I, I honestly love reading stories and seeing what people are writing about and then trying to find ways to incorporate those ideas into what I'm doing. So it's a very creative job. It's it's one of those professions where you need to know a little bit about everything and never getting bored of learning. So it's 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 a wonderful profession and I'm very happy that I've been able to do this for as long as I have and will continue to do so. What is the most surprising project you've ever worked on the thing that made you you went in one place and you came out a completely different place well there have been quite a few projects like that Uh, the biggest one probably was the Alibaba IPO project that we worked on it was the biggest tech IPO in the history of time back before then I think there's a a new come a new tech company that came out that um proceeded, uh, you know, excelled all of those expectations and and beat us out. But up until a few years ago, it was the biggest tech IPO in the history of time. So the initial public offering on the New York Stock Exchange. It was something that I had never been a part of. I had worked for publicly traded companies in the past, but never something of this caliber. And people the mainstream media didn't fully understand what Alibaba was before the IPO. So there was a lot of initial conversations to be had so that people did understand who we were and what, what we were about. I came out of that project. I mean, I, I worked internally with a lot of different teams to make sure that we were abiding by SEC regulations, uh, with compliance teams. Uh, You know, we were trained heavily ourselves as the PR team. And then we had to also, or I had to also train internal teams, like our marketing teams, our social media teams, um, even our customer service teams, working very closely with them in terms of what we could and we couldn't say. Now, all of this was still very 
much part of public relations and the communications function at the organization, but it was just something that I had never been a part of. And again, it was just so much bigger than than I had anticipated and so much more so much more important. Understanding how all of the organization needed to come together in order to make this massive project happen. It was incredible. And in the end, I mean, just working with our internal teams and our external teams and our agencies and all of that was unbelievable. I I grew to understand the business sector very, very much, um, how finance works, and and there's still a lot to learn, but it was just incredible for, for that journey and understanding the overall organization, how we work together, and what my role could be within it, because nobody ever tells you, this is what you have to do. You, I mean, I had to seek out where help was needed and, and go from there. So I learned a lot in that process and I loved it. It was probably one of my most proud uh, moments when we when we finally listed. And then, uh, you know, I think I worked till three in the morning that day <laughs> and everyone was in was in New York and I was still back in Hong Kong, but working until three in the morning. So it was, it was a great project. From when you started it to, let's say, six months after the IPO, how, how, what had changed? Did you see what had changed in the organization and particularly maybe in what you be, you were doing? I mean, again, when we first started and, you know, an IPO starts many years ahead of the actual listing. So when we first began, people didn't know what Alibaba was. People didn't understand what our organization was all about. So telling that story from the bottom, basically, from people having very little knowledge to once we did go, once we were listed on on the stock exchange, it was people wanted to know more information, but they already had a strong foundation as to what we were about. And yes, of course, there's always misinformation and, and things like that that people don't aren't aware of. But at least we weren't starting from zero. We were now starting at one or two we so for from a media perspective definitely speaking with members of the media who didn't know exactly what we did and what what we stood for now had a basic understanding so it was a lot easier to do my job from there and um what i really enjoyed was telling those finding out which markets as well because it was a global function so finding out which teams were, uh, or which countries, sorry, were really interested in what we were doing in whether it was part of the, the group, or if it was within uh, just what we were doing in that country. What sort of things have you had to be particularly aware of when going from state to state, or rather communicating a business that is effectively based or a culture is fundamentally one culture and trying to um, show that to other cultures and, or, and countries. Yeah, it, you know, there was definitely a lot of, and there still is, I think a lot of anti-China consumer sentiment right now. Uh, there's apprehension towards what's happening over there. I mean, even with 
COVID and, you know, the 5G and all of these things that have been going on, people have have said things and you read things that aren't necessarily true. And I, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, there is always going to be these types of sentiments, whether, you know, it's us versus them. And what I've learned over the years is we're all, we are so much more similar than we are different. So even just working cross-culturally, it's, it has helped me understand that our basics are fundamental. <laughs> we have the same needs and the same wants, and we just have different ways of getting there, different ways of communicating. So when it came to having to deal with cross-cultural issues and anti-China, and I worked for a Korean company as well, and there was a lot of anti-Korea sentiment um, and just mistrust. Uh, fundamentally, you tell the same story. You, we are. These are the the services that we provide. You, these are the values that we adhere to. These are. This is our vision and our mission, and these are. This is what we're going to do. And it's up to you as a consumer to decide whether or not you want to support that with your consumer dollars or however it is that you want to support an organization or a brand. And, and as a communicator, we're simply telling the story that is, that just resonates with people. I grew up in a, a city in Canada where the city that's three hours away, that's the closest neighboring city, big city. And, uh, you know, there is constant animosity between these two cities. So it's it feels almost like we're prone to want to create, uh, I don't know, create this this drama between between differences and fundamentally we're we're pretty much the same. So I've been very lucky. I've been, you know, I've lived in different countries. I've worked with different teams all around the world. You know, my even just my in my personal life, I've I grew up in in three different cultures simultaneously. So uh, for me, it, it's not it's just not one of those things that I want to to think about to to have to you know to make it part of my reality. Instead, I prefer to build bridges. And fundamentally, that's what communication does. We we do that. We build bridges between teams, between stories, between consumers and companies and governments and, you know, everyone who who is there to listen and is looking for more information. Imagine that you're kind of soaring over the world as an eagle or rocket or whatever you'd like to be. Um what is your, how has your perspective changed? How is it changing with regard to the way that technology has helped, is helping you and other people to communicate um, what the world is doing and particularly business? Well, I mean, this pandemic has shown us just how interconnected we are. We have been able to keep in touch, to continue working, most of us, at least, um, to continue working and staying connected with family and friends with the use of technology. From a business perspective, uh, artificial intelligence is actually affecting our industry very much. 
actually the other day I was reading a media story and it was around the financial industry. And at the, at the bottom, it read this story was created through the use of artificial intelligence. So there wasn't even a person behind the story. It was all computer created. There are programs that can create um, press releases by simply keying in a few keywords, you know, and it'll create a, a press release for you. That's scary for somebody who relies on, yes, I rely on data. Yes, I rely on technology in order to do my job. But at the same time, is uh, there's that feeling of, are these robots going to take over my job? And I think a lot of us have that feeling. We were worried that technology, you know, it was the same when we when you saw robots coming into industries and and manufacturing. Uh, there are other jobs that are created and from there's there's a website. I can't remember what the website is now, but it's something like will robots take my job or something like that dot com. And there, it gives you a list of the jobs that are in danger of, of losing out. I guess one of them is accounting, which many of my accounting friends, accountant friends are not happy about. But, um, you know, it. It could very well be there's going to be people checking over the work, of course, but um, fundamentally there are programs in place that that um, do all the numbers for you. Um, when it comes to public relations and communications, I mean, what we do is very much relationship based. Now, what we're seeing, too, is, you know, just like that story that was created by a computer through AI well, what relationship can I have with a computer to create a story that I'm looking to for a reporter to write? We're seeing globally our um, our newsrooms, they're just shrinking. They're, they're, they're changing. Uh, the people that were now abroad as foreign correspondents, they're still there, but now they're covering more than just that one country or more than uh, than just that one region, you, you're really seeing a lot more crossover. And this is, yes, due because of technology. Um, so there's pros and cons to every situation, but fundamentally, uh, you know, the human, the person behind all of this is still going to be there. And from a PR perspective, you know, we're building those relationships between teams, we're building those relationships, we're finding angles that a computer can't necessarily do for you and certainly isn't going to call a reporter and say, hey, are you, would you be interested in this story? So there's, the technology is great and, and it helps us do our jobs. Do we need to fear technology? I don't think so. We still need the data and and the companies and the, the roles that require personal relationships are the ones that are gonna survive. Imagine it's a client. You you have a you have a country that's a client. Let's say something like that, or a, or a, or a administration, um, maybe an actual cabinet or something like that. But anyway, uh, and their job is to make sure that they stay in power for as long as they can without things going wrong. It's a democratic nation, 
they they everybody votes and all the rest of it but the idea is to keep things rolling without things going wrong if something does go wrong because i understand that your specialism was crisis management is that right yeah yeah so let's imagine the same sort of scenario it doesn't have to be the same people how would you have dealt with it from an advisor's point of view differently <sighs> So public affairs, the the politics uh, realm of of PR is is a very different beast. So I have never really worked in public affairs necessarily, but from a corporate perspective, what I can tell you is that we you need to be authentic. I mean, I the other day I was reading. Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember. I I put it up on my Twitter uh, account, but. There was a story about a company who had said something terrible and and they decided to issue a statement. And this, again, this, just as you said, the statement was so, it was just inauthentic. It, was, it read like a standard response that you would give people, like one of those you know, computer responses that, that you get through customer service uh, or through the robots that you see. It was, I just thought, you know, you needed to be a little bit more human here. You need to be a little bit more authentic. And an apology goes a long way. Now, apologies in Western culture and apologies in Eastern culture are very different. So in, in Eastern cultures, an apology means accountability, means um, it means really just being very authentic and apologizing because it is a reflection of me and my um, my values. Now, in Western culture, a lot of the time, our legal teams don't necessarily like having these types of apologies because they feel like it, it is accountability, but also responsibility, which means that they are liable. Now, I think there's a fine line between being uh, responsible and being liable and then being authentic and and accountable for the actions. And again, it may not be your actions, it may be the actions of the organization, um, but being able to, to apologize and be sincere and understand that, you know what, we are all human we make mistakes and i'm i'm going to take responsibility for that as as a leader you you have to do that i remember i remember some leaders in my previous companies that would take responsibility and they resigned and they said you know this this happened under my watch and i don't i don't i'm responsible for that so i'm going to resign whereas i've had other leaders in organizations that they're like, oh, well, I, I had no idea that this was happening. And uh, that's really terrible, but it's not my responsibility. And <laughs> you just those are the ones you, you sort of shake your head at. And there are times in, in companies, there are times in real life where you just, you don't know what to do. So then you call a crisis comms person like myself. <laughs> And we look at the best case scenario. Again, you're not going to fix everything overnight. You're not going to make everyone happy all the time. Uh, you're certainly not going to make people trust you overnight and immediately. So it's you have to look at your reputation and what you've done in the past 
and whether or not that was okay. Um, you know, it's it's Pride Month, so we see a lot of companies that are doing marketing campaigns around LGBTQ plus, um, you know, material or products or whatever it is that they've decided to create for this month. Now, some of them are lovely, legit, but what happens after Pride Month? Are these companies still going to be responsive to the LGBTQ plus community? Are they still, do they have policies in place in-house that are LGBTQ plus friendly? Do they have uh, people and uh, diverse people that are at the helm of making the company better and more diverse? So once this month is over, it will be interesting to see what companies continue forth in their journey to being more representative of the of the diverse community that exists in our society. So we may see a lot of apologies in the coming months around that, and it'll be interesting to see what changes. So there's both good and bad for these companies jumping on the LGBTQ plus um, bandwagon, but what does it mean over the long term? And hopefully it means change and hopefully it means um, new policies and, and wonderful things but what if it doesn't so those are the companies that we need to to look at and see how they're going to respond and what what information they're going to be sharing so a crisis perspective yeah it'll we're going to be seeing a lot of a uh, lot of crisis happening over the next few months I think <laughs> that's fascinating because um from what you're saying, maybe, is this because of the COVID situation? Is it because of the fact that people are feeling more insecure? There's a guy um, who's boss of, or, or one of the bosses of a business called Brewdog uh, in this country, and they're a well-known microbrewery, I suppose you could call them, or craft okay. beer, as they mm -hmm. charmingly call it over here, and probably over there as well. But um, He's had a, a, a PR issue, a big PR issue, because ex-employees published a, a damning indictment of him and mm. his and his cohorts. And he, he was in this rather whirlpool-like scenario, from what I could see anyway, where almost anything he said wouldn't quite work. Mm. And that's largely because it seemed to be knee-jerk initially. And yeah. then, of course, yeah. once you've done that, that opens the floodgates and there's not much you can do because you are swimming uphill from there on because you opened them up and you fell out. I mean, any any crisis is going to be dependent on, you know, it's never a question of if, it's always a question of when. So have you prepared for this crisis? I mean, it sounds like this gentleman has been dealing, as you said, it, it was a knee-jerk reaction. No, you need to be more strategic when it comes to your communications. You need to be, you need to understand what it is that people want from you as well, or what they expect from you. So if you, you know, maybe this microbrewery had been, you know, had been talking about these great issues and and so they could have that in their back pocket to lean on and 
I, so I don't know what the, the issue is with this with this gentleman in particular, but it's the usual thing. It, it kind of a bit similarly to, to um, the guy who resigned from government. It's oh, hypocrisy. Okay. okay. So, so um, or a very familiar thing, hypocrisy. It's it deemed hypo hypocritical because, you know, breweries, modern breweries, hipster, uh, millennial, rock and roll, we've got the values of saints. I'm being very cynical now. Yeah. But that's kind of <laughs> how it – I'm almost a boomer. Um, the, uh, the, the point is that they, they make a start, they make, you know, they put their stake in the ground and they say, we are a phenomenal company because we believe in the people that we employ. And then the people they employ go, that's rubbish. Uh -huh. You're just talking to your stakeholders. And we understand that you just want, you're just interested in the moolah. And you're not really right. interested in us because you haven't been taking, you've never took much care of us or listened uh -huh. to us. You know, that kind of thing. And, of course, that goes right. They know because they're, for whatever reason, feeling rather vindictive. They know that that will go to the heart of something. And I guess I'm sure it's something you're very familiar with, which is um, when there really is a kind of feeling of war and you have to do something about it. Have you been in a situation where, the leaders or whoever is responsible has actually managed to negotiate their way forward where things have actually improved as a result um myself personally hmm great question <laughs> let me think about that i uh, there have always been uh, you know I, with one of my previous companies, we there wasn't necessarily a person behind. There were allegations around in, uh, incidences, but when it comes to personal, um, like people have that have been affected or people that are being told that they've done something horrible, uh, I mean, again, it goes back to what their principles are, and and then what we what we can tell people and how that person comes off as well. So is that person going to hide behind their PR team? Are they going to hide behind their reputation? Or are they actually going to come forward and get ahead of things? So I, I had a client with my own company that was dealing with um, a personal liability suit. And I told him he needed to come out ahead of it. He needs to talk to his stakeholders, talk to his staff, make sure that they understood what was happening and how he was responding. So what plan he had in place to fix things, to deal with it and then fix it over the long haul. Uh, so again, it wasn't necessarily him that was being attacked, but because he was the owner of the organization, it was, uh, he was responsible. He ended up coming up quite quite well. So nobody ended up quitting with his company. Nobody, the lawsuit went away um, because he was able to, I mean, he had a great lawyer uh, as well. Uh, but 
we fundamentally were able to work with him and and get his story out and his side, his version of the story out. So through internal memos, through one-on-one conversations, through letters to his customers, and and tell people that this is what had happened and how he was responding and how it would never happen again because he was now made aware of the situation and so on. He didn't need to apologize. That was something that he was keen on. He said, I didn't do anything wrong, um, but there were issues with the programs that he was running. And I thought, okay, this is interesting because from a personal perspective, I would you know, I, I would advise him to, to apologize, but he felt he had done nothing wrong. It was system error. So that, I mean, from a communications point of view, it was, it was actually quite easy to help him develop his statements and to train him on what he needed to say and what he needed not to say. Um, he came out on top. There are lots of people that that are aren't so lucky, and it's simply because they don't truly believe what they're saying, and people will see right through that. So if you are, if if you're, you know, you really believe in your purpose and your value and your mission, then that needs to come forward. That needs to be shown. That needs to be told. But if you don't really believe it, people will see right through it. And it doesn't matter how good your PR team is. It doesn't matter how good your legal team is. Um, you will get strung out. <laughs> you will get uh, put out into public and put out to pasture. So, But again, you need to be strategic. You need to have those, those policies in place. You need to have those stories that you're going to tell and then, and then share that with people. If and when you decide, right, I'm going to go to that island now, I'm done. I'm going to go to that island, I'm going to chill out, I'm going to write a novel, I'm going to write music, I don't know, I'm going to uh, run around the island several times, whatever. Um, what is the gift that you will leave or you will have left? In other words, what is the sum of all your experience, expertise, feelings, whatever? What is the gift you have left to the business world? I think what I want to leave the business world with and to the people that I influence in whatever way I have, um, I want to leave them with the knowledge that we are more similar than we are dissimilar. We are telling stories that help resonate, that help connect people to one another. So finding those similarities is so important and finding out why. So even just in my personal life, when, when I get upset or somebody gets upset with me, I, I always try to look at why that is. Why did I react that way? Why did I get upset? And it comes down to, to understanding yourself and understanding what is important to you and why we are into how interconnected we really are so both negative positive and negative um i think that that is is something that i would like to to leave with people and just understand that we are we're more alike than we think 
Well, it's been a goddamn pleasure. Um, it's been fascinating listening to you and having a, a chat and and finding out your views and uh, more power to you. And I hope that uh, the next, the next, however long it is, before you land with your private jet on your own island, um, I I hope that you have a fantastic um, rest of your career. Um, and hopefully we'll catch up anyway. And you can give us a you know in the in the next few months perhaps, and you can give us a a little top off of what's going on. Thank you so much, Pamela. No, thank you. And good luck with you and your blog and everything else that you're working on. Congrats.